We welcome this morning, Reverend Nadia Bowles-Weber, who is our guest preacher. Reverend Bowles-Weber is a friend of Montview Church, and we are delighted to have her back in our pulpit. The scripture today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. Amen. And the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. My pop culture preferences have shifted wildly during the pandemic. I now watch reality TV shows that feature people surviving alone in the wilderness, and I now read 1,300-page post-apocalyptic novels in which a virus kills 99% of the population. That is to say, I just finished The Stand by Stephen King in which the 1% of the human population who survive a super flu find themselves drawn to join either a prophet in Boulder or a devil in Las Vegas, which feels a bit on the nose, but the prophet in Boulder sends four men to make a stand against the antagonist. And not unlike when Jesus sent his own disciples, they are instructed to walk hundreds of miles on foot and to take no provisions with them. A couple weeks into their trek, they have a conversation I will not soon forget in which they realize how different they feel now. Because in their lives before their own pandemic, it was as if their minds and spirits were like the car battery in an Oldsmobile, which always run, ran low because the accessories were constantly running, but that now, with everything extra in their lives unplugged, they could charge again. And the wilderness journey they were on with its hardship and exertion was somehow changing them. Had they instead flown first class to Las Vegas to confront the devil, they would not have been prepared. The time in the wilderness was hammering them into the vessels they needed to be to confront what was next. It's as though it took Stephen King 1,300 pages to say what today's gospel reading from Mark managed in like four verses. I love Mark's gospel with its urgency and its complete lack of sentimentality, but due to Mark's delicious brevity, a lot of details are left out. So thankfully, Matthew and Luke have told their own versions of the story and include details concerning the temptations and false narratives and unhelpful thoughts Jesus faced in his own 40 days in his own wilderness. Matthew tells us that the devil tempted Jesus by saying, 
if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Reading these Jesus being tempted in the wilderness texts at the start of every Lent, I've always tried to picture myself in that situation, fasting in the desert. Could I resist a loaf of sourdough after not eating for days? If after weeks of giving up chocolate for Lent, could I pass the test if someone suddenly puts a sleeve of Girl Scout Thin Mints in front of me? That, after all, is the whole point, isn't it? To be tested and to see if our resolve holds. But reading it again this week, I realized that maybe the temptation wasn't to eat when he was supposed to be fasting. I mean, whatever, right? Maybe the temptation was to believe his identity in and his relationship to God was something that could so easily be thrown into question. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Because the most dangerous word in the devil's mouth is and has always been the word if. If people really loved me, then I wouldn't feel so lonely right now. If you lose that extra 10 pounds, then you will be worthy of happiness. If I was truly a child of God, then life wouldn't hurt so much. Satan just throws the destabilizing word if out there and lets us come to our own false conclusions. We're often led to believe that temptation is a simple choice between good and evil. Do we stand with the righteous prophet in Boulder or the incorrigible devil in Vegas type of deal? But the thing about the temptation of Christ is that he wasn't offered a choice between good and evil. He was offered a choice between if-then propositions and because, 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 because propositions. See, when Jesus answers the devil, he doesn't argue his points. He quotes the word of God. He answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus doesn't defend himself or argue. He rejects the premise. Satan said, if God, then this. And Jesus answered, because God, therefore this. Maybe the central challenge of having everything stripped away from us is not to see if we can avoid giving into temptations, but it is to see how we've already succumbed to them to such an extent that we don't even see what they are anymore. We don't see where we have accepted a false premise, which is why I tend to justify and defend identities and comforts and privileges I desperately want to hold on to because I just trust them more than I trust God sometimes. And those things are such an integral part of my life. They become that which I am sure I cannot possibly survive without. Like, who am I without my public life? What value do I believe I have if I never give another talk, never write another book, never see the inside of another church? Do I really trust that God loves without measure, without concern for pre-existing condition, without me having to prove anything or earn anything or be anything? Do I really trust the firmament of this love or am I trying to build a different structure on which to stand? 
These are some of my own wilderness questions, and I'm sure you have your own. Don't get me wrong, feasting and community and celebration are essential to being human, and I, for one, cannot wait to get back to them, but they are not where we can answer wilderness questions, which is why the most basic discipline of Lent is to peel even the thinnest layer of insulation away. It is to see who I am without something I thought I needed, without others telling me who I am, without something that I thought was a need, but was really just an accessory draining the car battery. So for hundreds of years, the church has chosen to enter the wilderness of Lent and remove a layer of comfort. We give up chocolate or gossiping or TV the accessories and anesthesia of our lives. But this practice is far from perfect because it's just so easy to think we're like doing God a favor by all this self-denial. Like we're taking 40 days to gather up a big basket full of candy bars and hours on Facebook and give it to God like some bad habit charity drive for the Almighty. And if there's one less Snickers bar in the basket for God because I succumbed to temptation and ate it for myself, then I have failed at Lent. But the point isn't that God needs our sacrifices. The point is that we need God. And as for giving up things for Lent, I honestly don't even know what that would look like when we've already had an entire year of loss and grief and isolation as if maybe last year's Lent never technically ended somehow. So I'm not sure that giving up even more is going to help us nearly as much as spending the next 40 days paying attention to how our prolonged time in this wilderness is changing us, how it has been hammering us into vessels that can face what is next. Which brings me to another TV show I've enjoyed recently that a year ago I would have sworn I couldn't possibly like called The World's Most Extraordinary Homes. I have loved watching each episode, seeing different parts of the world that I can't visit right now and marveling at how clever architects can be. I mention it because I wrote something down that was said about building in a location that has a history of earthquakes. Quote, seismic structures are built to withstand forces that aren't present until they happen. It struck me that while the last 12 months of wilderness have brought more instability, pain, isolation, and suffering than we could have imagined a year ago, maybe the fact that we have still managed managed to get along is due to the emotional and spiritual load-bearing structures that have allowed us to withstand forces that weren't present until they happened. And this is the kind of trust our faith must lead us to have right now. Because we don't know what's next. No one does. But I do know that God is here in the wilderness, having never left our side building in us a load-bearing structure that can withstand whatever may come, an internal structure that is built on a relationship to and an identity in God that is unquestionable, an internal structure that can renounce the devil and his empty if-then propositions. There is simply 
no if then about it. There is only because, therefore. And there's another term for that. It's called unconditional love. Amen.